what Danny Cahill always talks about the market mastery. I, I've built that over 14 years and, you know, humble brag, but I think I've done a really good job of it in the lighting industry. Welcome to the Resilient Recruit Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. I'm super excited to be joined today by Brooke Ziolo. Brooke has been an executive recruiter with Egret Consulting for 14 years. They work exclusively in the lighting industry with manufacturers, rep agencies, and design firms. So she works on positions including sales, marketing, engineering, and operations from mid-level to C-suite. Brooke was inducted into the Pinnacle Society, the premier consortium of industry-leading recruiters in North America in 2016. And it's interesting, Brooke uh, has always been with the same recruiting firm. She became a partner in 2013. She became the managing director in 2016, and she purchased the firm in 2019. So we'll get into that shortly. Brooke, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. So you were referred to me by Rob Bowerman, who's the president at the Pinnacle Society. So shout out to Rob if he listens to this episode. Um, I guess you must have known Rob for a few years now. Uh, about six years now, which when you Fantastic. just said 2016, that just put in my head that it's been six years. <laughs> yeah, it's been long. <laughs> I know. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Uh, so Rob is an exceptional recruiter and search firm owner, you know, very successful search firm owner himself. Uh, and I do really value the relationship I have with him because he single-handedly refers more guests to the show, I think, than anyone else. Although he has fierce competition from Jordan Rayboy, so it's either Jordan or Rob. But um, we we really appreciate all the uh, referrals that both of those gentlemen send our way. Um, Brooke, how did tell me the story about how you got into recruiting? <laughs> well. So um, the Egret Consulting is actually was my father's recruiting firm. Um, so when I graduated college, I told him I would never go to work for him ever. And then about seven years later, he wore me down and uh, I joined the firm. And prior to that, I had actually gotten into staffing. So I was finding, um, I was actually finding the clients and then somebody else was finding candidates for me. And that was on like um, software sales, software, uh, IT. Oh, cool. And, yeah, I'd been doing that for like six months and did really well at it, but I just didn't like not having control over the candidate side. And when my dad reached out to me again, I was like, it would be kind of cool having the full control of all aspects of it. So here That's I am. That's awesome. It's yep. so interesting. I have heard of this on rare occasion, but it's not that common really to have a family you know, search firm, which is multi-generational and where... You know, there's the 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 younger, you know, generation takes over the firm. And I think that's uh, that's so cool. Yeah. So um, tell me, why didn't you want to join? It, you know, when you were going to university and you thought, "Nah, I'm not going to do that." What what did you think it was going to be, or what was it that was putting you off? It was more working with my dad. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> my parents not had easy. gone through a divorce, and it was you know one of those fighting back and forth, and I just didn't want to be in the middle of it. So I think the seven years helped in that too. So the, the tempers went down at, in that point too. Interesting. You know, that is the downside to family firms, family businesses. My wife, uh, my well, my father-in-law has a family firm that he inherited from his father and that's now he's retired and it's gone to the next generation. And yeah, it, it's, it's not easy. Not easy yeah. for sure. We um, actually worked really well together though. So it was, oh, cool. it was pretty nice. Yeah. 
and been good transition. He's not involved at all anymore. So awesome. Well, I, I'd like to learn more about that. So tell me about your first year in recruiting. It was hard. Um, so I started in 2008, February 2008, um, which is just probably a month or two before the economy just went crashed. Um, so, I mean, I was in that group where you had to make at least 100 calls a day and basically just pounding the phones. So I did that. I was handed we had a database of, of names to call, but it was really old and really dated. And I was calling everything. I had nothing, some lighting, some power manufacturing, like all across the board um, and got a couple of placements. But I mean, the economy was awful at that point. I think we, as a firm with six people in it, build 600,000 that year. So I, I didn't do well. <laughs> Um, I mean, listen, that's not bad considering what was happening. There was blood in the streets. It was a terrible, I remember it well. I never want (laughs) to go through something like that again. That was um, a trial by fire. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I built a lot of, I I kept making those calls and I was calling them every month and they, you hear my voice and you see my emails come through and you learn who I am in those two years. And then once things kind of started picking up again, that second, no, the third year is when I actually had a, a pretty good year and just kept rolling since then. It's my amazing. Name's there. Yeah. So let's talk about that because, well, first of all, the fact that you survived that and you had the persistence to see it through until it started paying off and that it wasn't until your third year that, you know, it started really, um, all of that hard work started coming back to you um how did you like tell me about your mindset during that time and your strategy like what were you thinking what were you doing in order to you know make the most uh, of that situation i think it really came down i mean obviously i didn't know any better so and my dad owned the firm and i really he, he was a lot harder on me than he was anybody else so it's like one of those things you have to you have to do well you have to make yourself look good in front of the rest of the team. And I was like, the only thing I control right now is how many calls I make. So if I keep making more calls than everybody in the office and keep getting my name out there, that's all I can do right now. So I, I really just think I kept just pounding the phones until somebody's told me no, or I'm sick of you. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just more about the persistence. And that's kind of been my thing all along is polite persistence. You don't want to be harassing or meaner anyway, but keep getting your name out there and eventually it comes back to you. And I've had, I've had people that it's been, what, what how long I've been doing this, almost 15 years that have called or emailed me back and say, you know, it's been a while since we talked and we've never talked. It's me leaving voicemails after voicemail after voicemail. So they think we've talked. Hilarious. Yeah. I'd like to just um, drill down into this a little bit deeper. You said an interesting phrase there, polite persistence. And this is actually in a training course that I delivered. Like uh, I I first developed probably, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. And I called it the three P's of success when it comes to either recruiting or selling. And it was polite, professional, persistent. And if you're polite and professional, you can get away with being quite persistent and people don't get upset. Um, so when you said that, it like I was like, wow, that's uh she thinks like I do. That's cool. <laughs> um 
but say more, say more about this idea of getting your name out there and people hearing your voice. I think that's how people relate to you is by your voice. And it's funny when I first started, so obviously I, I worked with my dad. Um, he is a totally different type of personality where he's, he's got to use the big words and, you know, very more, maybe he, you know, he's got his PhD and he, knows a lot more words than I do, <laughs> but um, he was a lot more formal and he came up through the corporate world. He actually came up through a lighting manufacturer, um, one of the big like $2 billion manufacturers. So he was a lot more corporate and I've never really been in a corporate environment. And it took me a while to say, okay, I don't have to follow his personality and his persona. I can make it my, my own. And I think when people hear you and you being genuine, they relate to you. So there's people that will work with me that would never work with my dad. And there's people that would work my dad would never work with me because you're relatable and people work with people that they want to work with. So right. I think it was more just, it, the more I can get my voice out there, because I think that's what really resonates with people rather than seeing an email a hundred times. You can see an email, you know, I get spammed in my email how many times a day, 30 times a day at least. And I don't remember their names, but if you hear a voice over and over again, I think that's what really resonates. Hmm. Fantastic. People, I mean, literally they've said we've talked before and I've looked through all my notes and it's voicemail after voicemail after voicemail. I'm like we've never talked. That's hilarious. They just think that they've talked to you because they, they recognize your voice. Um, and so you said you were calling once a month. How many companies were you cycling through on that monthly oh, kind of uh, plan? Um, I can't remember. All right. <laughs> that was like 15 but, years ago. No, yeah, but, well, you um, said like, it, was it literally a hundred a day or like, yeah. is it, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I was telling, I mean, that would cycle. I mean, if I had to throw a number, it was probably a thousand companies I was cycling yeah. through and various levels, VP of sales, VP of engineering, VP of HR presidents and cycling through those, yeah. making those calls every day. Wow. So then uh, I just like analyzing this, by the way. So bear with me. <clears throat> so if there, did you have multiple contacts at each company? So like three or four job mm -hmm. titles each company. So let's say if there's a thousand, is that a thousand contacts or a thousand companies? It was probably more like a thousand contacts. Okay. Again, I'm going in the way back machine here, but <laughs> I understand. But then it's I, I I like to try and understand people's formula for success, right? And so, does that mean that there was about 250, 300 companies that you were relentlessly pursuing? Yeah, that's probably about right. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Um, out of curiosity, like now that was uh, 14 years ago now. Um, what's changed in the sort of approach to marketing and business development um, at your firm in that in that time frame? Well, I definitely do a lot less marketing now that my name is out there. And I've so when I first started again, we had a, a database that was spanned all across the electrical industry, so it was kind of all over the place. And I honed in on lighting, so now I'm only reaching out to lighting manufacturers and lighting design firms, and. I, I don't do a lot of marketing anymore. Just again, my name is out there. We send out a, a monthly newsletter that comes with my name on it. And we're talking about industry related things or recruiting um, things. And so we do that once a month. I see my name once a month there. Um, I still do some MPC, uh, most placeable candidate marketing, but I do that more via email now, just mm -hmm. 
time constraints. And I get a lot of companies coming to, to me now. Um, you know, I was referred to you through the industry or I saw your ad. Oh, we also do an ad in a, a lighting magazine that we have, Trade Journal. Yeah. And then, um, or on LinkedIn, they, they'll yeah. see I'm connected with basically everybody in their company. <laughs> <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> and then the first question is, are you recruiting all those people? I'm like, no, I'm just right, exactly. a lot of people. <laughs> So, so it's, it's more that way now. So you do a monthly email newsletter, right? And that's a combination of articles about lighting industry. And then did you say there might be stuff about recruiting or? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That, yep. that all makes sense. Um, and yep. then you do MPC marketing mm -hmm. by email. Uh, and how, like how many MPC campaigns would you be running at a given time, or is it like a monthly or a weekly cadence? What's the? Um, now, just because we are so busy, we've got a lot of people coming to us. It's probably once a quarter. Um, I just sent one out last week for VP of sales. And then um, the one prior to that, I did probably two or three months ago and actually got a placement off of that one pretty quickly. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. That yeah. Um, okay. And then you said you do, you have an ad in the, in the trade publication for for yep. the lighting industry correct um and and is that just like a reg is that a monthly magazine or yeah that's a monthly so they see that every month it's a okay you know back of the trade magazine and is that what is it a full page or is it like what what are we no it's probably like a eighth of a page maybe eighth and mm -hmm. is that are you advertising jobs or you're just you're branding to get your name out there or what's the content of that ad yeah, it just says uh, Brooksiolo executive recruiter exclusive in the lighting industry. And then I think okay. it has the positions that we place: engineering, yeah. marketing, operations, sales. Okay, it's so interesting. I don't, I can't think of any other anyone else I've met recently who is doing adverts in trade publications. Oh, really? It's really interesting. Yeah, and like, why wouldn't you do that? Of course, because. Yeah. Those magazines are still like I get one for the recruiting industry here, Recruiter Magazine. So shout out to Didi Doki at um, Recruiter Magazine. That's a tangent. We, we uh, you should. Ch it is a British magazine, but it's worth uh, looking at. Brooke, the editor is actually American, but she's lived in like me. She's lived over here for uh, for decades. I think she's married to a Brit, but um, you know and. These magazines are still out there. So despite the fact we're in the digital age, why wouldn't you also advertise in print? Yeah. I actually, I mean, I do get people saying, I saw your advertisement in the back. Um, it's funny because I've got two direct competitors in the lighting industry. So they advertise right next to me too. So I, <laughs> I know when they say that, I'm like, okay, so you're also reaching out to my competitors too, but still get, Interesting. Still get tips. <laughs> and excellent. All right, cool. So um so you've got the monthly newsletter, you've got the ad, you've got MPC marketing, but are, is your team still cranking out phone calls as well? Or because how many people are in your, in your business? We have a total of nine right now. Okay. Yeah. So nine, uh, six recruiters, a researcher, um, a business development manager. Yeah. Oh, and me. Yeah. And you. And so is, do you still subscribe to the phone first philosophy? Do your team members like do the hundred dials a day or have you kind of moved, moved away from that? We have moved away from that. Um, I mean, I'm still a big proponent of the phone. I think you hear, I mean, 
you misinterpret tone all the time in text or, or email, sure. in my opinion, or at least I know I do. Um, so I'm a big proponent of the phone still, but the reality is people aren't answering the phone as much as they used to. And people are going straight to email a lot more. Um, we've had really good success it, since the market um, has been kind of going crazy right now. We're in, in trying to get things out quickly um, with all the jobs that we have. So we've, We've got, had good success with the emails and through LinkedIn with the people that are open to work. Yes. Um, yeah. So we've we've been doing that and text messages. We've had good success with. Fantastic. It's interesting because uh, we in our coaching group we've been talking about text messaging recently. Um, what's your, how how do you actually do that in your business? Because there's different people doing different things with text messaging. So we have we we have Ring Central for our calling system. And I know they can do the bulk um, text messaging, but we actually haven't done that yet. We just are doing it more on a one-off, like manually with from people's phones, or no? Because so the the yeah. Ring Central actually integrates with PCR, so we can hit a button okay. and say text them, and then you can right. type it on the computer, which is oh, really that's nice easier. for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we've been doing that um, a lot, and that helps. At least that helps get the conversation going, especially if it's somebody that you're trying to reach out and you haven't gotten hold of, and just send a text. You know, not not too lengthy. Um, and that gets the conversation going and then easy to make a call scheduled because obviously we, you can make that initial contact through the email or through a text message, but you still need to get them on the phone to talk through what, you know, why they're looking at a new job and Got it. The whole interview process. So you are leveraging technology to send the text, but you are sending them one, one at a time rather than bulk. I know I need to get into the bulk. <laughs> no, I, I'm just trying to understand. And so, um, what I'd be curious about, are you sending text only to people who already know you or could that be part of your cold outreach? You know, you've tried, you've messaged someone on LinkedIn, they didn't respond. Okay, I'm going to send them a text message. Is it like, how are you actually, who is receiving the text, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, we'll, we'll cold text somebody and say, yeah. I'm an executive recruiter exclusive in the lighting industry and trying to get a hold of you because I have something that you know, something to that effect, but, um, that I think would be a good fit for your career path. And awesome. generally I'll probably say like the, the title too. So they know that's relevant and they, we get what they do. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. Um, yeah. cool. And do you have any idea what your response rate on those texts is? I mean, generally when I send a text, again, we're not sending them in bulk. I, I generally get a response back at least saying, no, I'm not interested anymore or, you know, call me at this time. Um, yeah. I, I would say it's pretty high up in the nineties. It's amazing. I, and I'm, I wasn't expecting to talk about this today, but I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because w the, we've been doing research, my, me and my team have been doing research on this for our, uh, our, our clients. And it makes sense when you think about it, like people are checking their, their text messages all day. Like they've mm -hmm. got their phone in their hand almost constantly. They're checking. I mean, I know people check email a lot, but you know, the response, the time, the response time to a text is a lot faster than a response time to an email. So not only based on the research. Now, the research I'm looking at is biased because it's from companies who are selling you their text messaging platform, right? And okay. that <laughs> yep. so of course you have to take it with a grain of salt. But um it makes logical sense that the response rate is higher to a text and also the speed of response is higher to a text. But the reason I asked about like, when we suggest this to people, a lot of times 
they're very reluctant to cold text someone because they're worried about a negative reaction. And I was wondering what your experience of that has been. Have you had any pushback or is it like the vast majority of people, you know, are happy that you reached out to them, even if they're not interested in that opportunity? Yeah, I, I, I really have not had a bad experience with some, sending somebody a text. And again, we're not doing it in a bulk way. Yeah. So it, it is a little bit more personalized. But again, it's a text you can't send a lot of characters or yes. you don't want to. It'll get overwhelmed. Um, but yeah, we have not had a bad response. I haven't had somebody that said, I can't believe you texted me. And I haven't had that at all. Um, and if anything, they're like, I think they're pretty receptive. And then they're more likely to add you to their phone and respond to you later. I think it's been yes. actually really good because we've Fantastic. been doing a lot of bulk emailing still. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those are not going through. So I'll even say in my text uh-huh. that, you know, I, I sent you an email yep. unless I never got it. Yes. You know, it looks like it went through on our system, but I, I feel like people aren't getting, especially if you're sending them out via bulk, that they're not getting them as much as they need to. Yeah. So Brooke, um, I wouldn't recommend when you say bulk, what do you, I don't, I don't know what you mean. Uh, do you mean like your newsletter just goes out, uh, to everyone at once or. Yeah. So in PCR, our PC recruiter, the database that we use, we can send an email to 200 people and it, I guess it sends it out every minute to bulk or like a group of 20 every minute. Okay. I still still feel like they're not getting those messages. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend you do it that way. Uh, We can have a separate conversation about this if you're interested, but um, there's different email platforms that send it from your Outlook or your Gmail account and they send the messages like individual messages. They're not sending a bunch at once and Mm -hmm. the deliverability is much better. And also okay. the recipient, the experience of the recipient, it feels and looks exactly like a message that you just personally type to them on a one-to-one basis, even though you might've sent it to a hundred people. Um, so it's similar to what you're doing, but I think it will be more effective to do it that way. Okay. Um, yeah. Send me that information, please. Do you know uh, Michael Petrak? I do. Because uh, Michael has been on the show before, and he has a really interesting method for uh, leveraging text, which combining it with video. So uh, I won't try and explain it. It's easier if people just go back to that episode and and listen to Michael's explanation of it. But because he is great at using video, so he records a video about the job, and then he sends that by text message to. Um, his target list of whatever 20 people uh, with his with his V card or whatever it has his, his uh, phone number and everything in it. Um, I thought it was really interesting. I hadn't heard of anybody else doing that. So yeah, I'm not yeah. a big fan of taking videos. <laughs> I don't know. Everybody's telling me to do them lately too. And I, it's, it's a comfort zone thing, Brooke. We're like, we really push video in our coaching program. Um, not, but look, it's not right for everybody. We have some people do their own podcast or some people just prefer writing articles. Um, but video is a powerful way for people to, you You said earlier, like people do business with those they know, like, and trust, or you said something to that effect. And it's a great way of accelerating that relationship in the same way as when you used to leave voicemails for people, once a month, they would hear your voice. It's similar, like they're hearing your voice and they're seeing you mm-hmm. and they feel like they are getting to know you, even if you've never spoken to them before. So it, it makes it, a lot it, of sense. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> and no problem. So 
Are you worried about keeping your recruitment firm up to date with the latest technology? After all, your clients expect you to be ahead of the curve. But how do you select the right tech for your recruitment firm and make sure that you earn enough new business as a direct result to make back the cost of your investment? Which is why our friends at iIntro provide in-depth coaching alongside their technology to help you get the most out of your investment. They offer an extensive suite of tools, but let's just take one example, their behavioral assessment tool. It's built right into their online system, so you don't have to buy or learn a whole new platform. They also include training on how to use behavioral assessments to improve your pitching technique, while also increasing the longevity of your placements to a staggering 96% after 12 months. For a free demo of iIntro's suite of recruitment tools, including behavioral assessment, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Remember, when you engage with our sponsors, you also help support this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, then follow the instructions to get started. I want to get back to your career because you've had a lot of success. And like, I know you were the number one recruiter in your firm, you know, multiple years and then, you know, before becoming a, a, a partner. What is the secret to that success? Apart from what we've already talked about, is there any other strategy or mindset that you think has enabled you to really find your groove there? I mean, I really think it is about persistence and knowing that things aren't going to happen right away. Um, You know, not everybody's looking to hire right away. So you keep making those phone calls and saying, I'm still here and I understand the industry. Um, that's why I really like MPC calls. I know some people don't love those, but to me, that's me saying, I know, I know the types of people that you need in the future. Even if it's not right now, I understand the industry. So I think those are pretty valuable and I've been doing those since I started. Um, and people remember for you for that, but I also, um, I mean, persistence and, really getting to know niche into an industry. I think being specific in the lighting industry has really helped me. I go to trade shows and meet with clients at trade shows. I just went to light fair. That's our, our industry trade show uh, back in August. And I had 25 appointments in one day. Wow. Yeah, it was was really, really tight, but um, so I didn't get a lot of time, but you know, 10 minutes with somebody face to face still gets that, another connection. And it, like the videos you're saying, I, I do agree, I should be doing those. Um, but that face-to-face connection really imprints you into their memory and makes you think, it makes them think about you in the future when they do have a need, even if they don't have one now. So it's things like that. And, you know, obviously connecting on LinkedIn too. I mean, I'm connecting with every single person that I can on LinkedIn. And then people are going to that saying, oh, you're connected with my entire company. So it's all about ingratiating yourself and really getting to know that industry. Awesome. I think I've like got a good understanding of your recipe for success. So it starts by being really focused around uh, niche market specialization, which for you is lighting. And then it's, you know, you've built out your, we call it market mapping, but you basically have identified all of the decision makers you know, at the companies that are in your industry. So your database at this stage, probably you've probably got almost the whole industry, I would, I would imagine. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very broad, very broad. Yeah. 
And then you're also connected with everybody on LinkedIn. Plus, they're getting uh, newsletters from you. They're getting NPCs from you. They're getting the occasional phone call from you. You're going to the trade uh, like events for that industry. You're in the trade magazine for that industry. And, you know, month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year of that level of industry focus and that amount of communication, um, you know, that's just incredible. Like now, as you say, most of the jobs come to you guys, but um, yeah, it, it, it really does make, make sense. Um, it's like what Danny Cahill always talks about the market mastery. This is, I, I've built that over 14 years and yes. it, 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 you know, humble brag, but I think I've done a really good job of it in the lighting industry. I'm sure. Absolutely. It sounds like you, it sounds like you have. Um, so then tell me about the decision to buy the business. Um, I mean, it, again, it was my father's business. So um, we had talked about it for several years and, you know, I think it made sense. Obviously I didn't want the company to go away. Um, and it, it's, it's a great company. We have a great team. We all get along really well. And it just kind of seemed like a, a no brainer. Um, you know, there's a lot of nerves going into that. I know my sales dipped <laughs> at that point. Um, but yeah, we kind of worked through everything and, and, um, was it like, I imagine it's different to, um, buying a business where you don't have that family connection. Did you still, do you still need professional advisors for valuing the business and lawyers and con like how, what, what's the, what does the process involve? So we did my, my dad actually had the business evaluated. Um, I probably should have in retrospect had somebody else evaluate it that I found as well. Um, but we did come to an agreement where, and we did have a, we each had a lawyer. Um, I have an, a personal accountant, so I, I reached on them as well and kind of talked through the different ways to evaluate the business and basically looking at taking his numbers out and averaging the last three years, um, mm -hmm and then taking percentage of that and that'd be the evaluation of the business. Mm -hmm. And we, we agreed on that. And he just was like, I'll let you know when I'm ready to retire, but this will be how we figure out the number. And in 2018, he's like, yeah, 2019, if you want to take over, I'm, I'm ready to be done. So Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And we, I mean, the accountant is the one that helped me set up my own L, L um, S corp. I keep saying LLC, uh, my own S corp. So I got all that squared away to buy the, buy the company. Um, and then we had an attorney, so she reviewed all the documents with me and, you know, made all the suggestions of things because awesome. again, I've never, never done anything like this and I'm by no means an attorney. <laughs> well, no, it's, it, I, I imagine it must've been a smooth transition because you're already working in the business. You already know all the systems, all the people, everything. So it's not like you're buying a business that you haven't worked in and then trying to take it over you already knew all the clients so you know was there any um challenges or or that you hadn't foreseen with that making that transition um i don't necessarily no there really it was pretty smooth i think it was just more you know change that gets into my head i'm like how if i'm going to be able to do this right and be a good manager mm -hmm. and you know, the fear of what if I crash the company and these people have jobs that they're depending on and the irrational fears that jump into, you know, 
my brain anyway. I don't know if anybody else is like yeah, that. Yeah, everybody, but. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it actually went pretty smooth. Um, my dad did help me out with a loan when we first started to make payroll and all of that. So, and I was able to pay that back pretty quickly and, you know, built up a savings for the business now. So now I don't, I, I hopefully can weather storms and recessions. I love it. To- I'm really glad that you mentioned like that irrational fear because I'm sure that, you know, everybody, almost everybody can relate to that. Um, sure. And, and no, everybody could, could relate to that. How did you get past that? Because, you know, that is, it, it is a leap of faith and it is a big responsibility when the pay, you're the one that has to make sure that you meet payroll, that, you know, people's livelihoods are depending on you, their families, their mortgages, their, um, you know, that is a lot when you think about it. How did you overcome those doubts? It's, <laughs> I think it's just about putting one foot in front of the other, honestly. I mean, like, okay, I, yes, I have this fear, but it, the company's been around for 23 years now at, at the time, what, 20 years. And it's, I, I came out in a recession again when we only build about 600,000. So it's going to ebb and flow, but it's, we have the contacts. So it's, I guess, talking my brain out of <laughs> the, the irrational fear that we're, we're not going to tank. We have clients. We everybody knows what they're doing already. Most of these recruiters that have been with me have been here for, you know, six to twenty years. So it's getting out of my head and just saying, okay, focus on today. What can you do today? And then this is what you need to get done at the end of the week. And then by the time you know it, three years have passed. <laughs> I went through it in, in COVID too because you're like, every. I mean, we had so many jobs on our desk and they all went away, and you get that panic. You're like. Oh my gosh, we're never going to get a job board again. And you're like, okay, no, go back to when you first started. You didn't have any job boards when you first started. And it it comes back. People will have to hire again. Awesome. I don't know if you're aware of it, but you just gave a kind of little um, training session on how to um, how to deal with that critical inner voice or that uh, imposter syndrome that tells you you can't do it or you're not you know, experienced enough, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough or, or, you know, people are going to like, you. who are you to run a company? Like you don't have a PhD, who, like, all these kind of things. Right. And, uh, so the three things you said, one is you sounds like you gave yourself a pep talk to some extent, you, you know, you, you were able to look at those fears and actually, um, reason with yourself as to why that was nonsense. And, you know, all the reasons why it would uh, be likely to be successful. Secondly, is um, you said just put one foot in front of the other. So you didn't need to know the whole game plan. You just needed to concentrate on the next step in the journey. Um, and the third thing is you had references you could point to past experiences where which have been difficult and which you came through uh, from and turned into uh, you know a success. So by drawing on those past experiences, you were able to project those in the future and predict a, a, a similar outcome. Yeah. And, you know, I, I still go through that to this day. So it's just one of those things. Okay. Talk your work back through. This is what you've done. You've been successful. You know, people in the industry, you, you know, you're, you're very well connected. You can get through this. It <laughs> sounds <happy>. like, yeah, <laughs> those affirmations, um, 
you know, uh, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And God <laughs> right. it, people like me. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart Smalley, but only not everyone will know Saturday Night Live, but Stuart Smalley, <laughs> Saturday Night Live. I get you. Um, hilarious. Do you know, uh, that sketch, I think was like modeled on Brian Tracy. Do you know who Brian Tracy is? I don't. Oh, he's a personal <laughs> development speaker and he's from Prince Edward Island in Canada, although you would assume he's American because he lives in America and he, um, but he's, he's one of the best-selling authors on personal development. If you go to Amazon and search Brian Tracy, you'll see like 50 books or something he's written. And um, he used to do, did you, you're probably too young for this, but I used to order these personal development tapes from Nightingale Conant and they would come in a, like, uh, they were literally cassette tapes that you could play on your Walkman or in your car when cars had cassette, you know, <laughs> cassette tapes and, uh, you could put them on. And one of his things was affirmations, like telling yourself, um, positive statements that to, to sort of boost your own confidence, get yourself in, in that state of mind. Right. And, um, I'm now I know there's a lot of people who teach that, but he's probably the most famous example. And so when I saw that on Saturday Night Live, I, I thought, man, they are ripping the heck out of Brian Tracy here. <laughs> but it, it was funny. And then the um, the end of that story, Brooke, is that I reached out to Brian Tracy when I, I wrote a kind of guide on getting through the last recession. It was t- 2008 or 2009. I wrote my first ebook. Uh, and it was called Recruiting in Tough Times, How to uh, Increase Your Sales in a Soft Economy or something like that. And uh, I just I just put everything I knew from my own experience, but also like my really smart, successful clients into a like 30 page or 40 page uh, book and um, and put that on the Internet. And I I reached out to Brian Tracy and asked him if he would review it for me and give me a, like a review. And he did. I was amazed. That's so awesome. yeah. So he, he gave me a quote that I could put on my website to uh, promote the book. And I ended up getting something like 2000 recruiters downloading that book. I think um, that was my early foray into all my marketing and lead, you know, you know, digital lead generation and stuff. But uh, that's awesome. That was a bit of a rant from the Stuart Smalley. <laughs> Uh, You just triggered that memory, which I'd completely forgotten about. This episode is brought to you by Recruitment Entrepreneur. If you've dreamed of starting your own business, or if you've already got a successful firm and you want to grow more rapidly, then pay close attention. Recruitment Entrepreneur are the number one investors in recruitment startups and scale-ups globally. They provide everything you need to grow your business, including the funding and financial expertise, operational strategy and back office support, and marketing and talent attraction solutions. Led by James Kahn, they've already invested in 45 businesses and you could be their next joint venture partner. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. That's VC as in venture capital. Book a call with one of their investment directors and be sure to tell them you were referred by Mark Whitby and the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. So Brooke, where do you go from here? Like this is a 23-year-old firm. You've got, there's a team of nine. It sounds like you're very well established in the lighting industry. Like what's your vision for taking the company forward? Um, So I'm, 
I don't have huge visions to make it a big company. Um, you know, that sounds like a lot more work and expansion. And um, we're pretty good where we are. We've got a really solid team of great recruiters and we all get along pretty well. We're doing more, trying to do more events because we've got two people that are, are um, out of state actually. So that makes it a little bit more complicated, but I do try to fly people from Florida in when I can. Um, but I mean, we've got a really solid team. We've just brought on one more person to help out in distribution uh, or the di electrical distributor side of the business. And um, looks like we might be bringing on one more person to kind of help us expand more into like building automation, IoT, um, even um, like cyber, cybersecurity. So okay, just, you know, more verticals that we can add under the electrical um umbrella. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. But I don't don't have aspirations to be a huge firm. <laughs> Stick it where it's a little bit more manageable. <laughs> yeah, you say that, but I think um, if you can manage a nine-person firm, you can manage a 20-person firm or a 30-person firm. Um, so you never know. Don't don't put any limitations on. Well, I, you, you know, know I've, I've already hired two that I already said we were good at eight. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I never say never, but good. right now we're good. <laughs> All right. I hear you. Fantastic. Oh, I did want to ask you um, something you mentioned there, which is you have recruiters out of state. So tell me about do you recruit nationally? We do. OK, but and. Do you have an office or does everyone work from home and are they spread out all over the U.S. or how, what's that look like? So we had an office and I mean, COVID kind of taught us that we can work from home and a lot of the recruiters really liked working from home. So in November, uh, we let go of the office and now we all are all fully remote. Um, but we all started here. We, I mean, we all went to the office in Illinois, so we all lived around here. Uh, we still go to lunch every Wednesday. Um, and then one of the recruiters moved to Florida and then I ended up hiring another recruiter, ironically, in Florida. Um, so now we've got two in Florida and the rest of us are up here in Illinois and we, the Illinois folk, <laughs> meet for lunch once a week, just kind of help reconnect us and stay a team. But we do Zoom uh, meetings twice a week. And then we also do a Zoom lunch for the people in Florida on Thursday. Awesome. Well, you you started answering my my next question, Brooke, which is... How have you, uh, how do you manage people remotely so that everyone is A, productive, but B, they feel engaged? Because I think this is the big challenge, you know, in terms of, um, I've, I've read a couple of articles recently on LinkedIn about quiet quitting, where people kind of just do the minimum. They're not really engaged. They're not enjoying what they're doing and they just are doing the minimum. And you know, when you're in the office, like I can see a gong behind you there, right? Which I'm assuming is to ring the gong when you guys get a placement. Am I, is that what it, the story is with that, that gong? That is correct. Yep. All right. <laughs> awesome. Everybody needs to hit Love the gong that. and scare, scare you half to death in the office. <laughs> so in an office, you can have a culture around certain traditions like that. You can celebrate together. You can like have drinks on a Friday. You can get lunch into the office and everyone, you know, you do a training session uh, once a week and, and bring sandwiches or pizza. You can, um, you can, uh, you, it's much easier to listen in on what other people are saying or doing on the phone. So like when you're training new folks, so there's a lot of things you can do when everyone's working together that are certainly achievable, but they are more difficult when working remotely. Um, how have you addressed that? 
Um, still a work in progress, okay. <laughs> but you know, again, we're doing the, the weekly lunches for the people that are in Illinois and that helps just kind of reconnect us as a team in, in person. Um, and we do do the zooms, uh, twice a week, uh, for just basically what are we working on? Um, kind of stand up meeting people, we do that. Um, and then also kind of a, on Fridays, we do a zoom just to say, you know, what are you doing this weekend and try to connect personally. Oh, that's um, cool. I like that. We went to the Cubs game this summer. We are going to meet at a bar restaurant in a month. Just again, trying to do things that we can stay connected. I mean, it is a challenge. We also do have the ring central has a, like a Skype app where we, that's where now we send over, you know, congratulations on so-and-so's clothes and we all send little gifs and memes and memes and all that fun stuff. Um, so things like that we try to do, but yeah, it is definitely more challenged. Training is definitely more challenged. The, uh, I hired two people a year and a half ago and that was when we still had the office. That was one of the people from Florida. So we brought them into the office for two weeks yes, and did all the idea. listening then. Um, but now since then, now we're just having meetings over the phone to say, how'd your week go? What challenges did you have? There's times when I'm on the call with them to a client occasionally, although that's lessened because they've been here for a year and a half now. The one person we just hired, I had her come out to my office because she's fairly local. So she, she drives out. Um, she's getting on the phone next week. So I'm going to have her come back out and listen to her. So it's, it's things like that when you can, but it definitely poses some challenges. You know, um, in some ways, there are certain things that are easier. For example, because all the meetings are happening, like either Ring Central, are you doing Ring Central video calls or are they just phone calls? Um, they are just phone 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 calls. Uh, yeah. Every now and then we do have like Zoom meetings, yeah. but it, for the most part, it's phone. So in either case, Ring Central, you can record calls, though, right? Yes, I can. I can drop in and listen to somebody on a phone call, which yeah. I haven't done and I should. Yeah, it's. I would say it's one of the best ways of training people and also sharing best practices. I've got a contact, his, his name is Richard Smith, and their company is called Refract, R-E-F-R-A-C-T. And it's really cool what they do. Um, on their platform, basically, you record all of the calls that are going on in your business right. and... Um, what is like an AI platform that then analyze first it transcribes all the calls and it analyzes them, analyzes them, it looks for keywords and will give you intelligence like what percentage of the time was the customer or the other the, the candidate talking versus the recruiter? Uh, oh. How many open questions versus closed questions? It will look at the duration of the phone call. It will look for certain keywords that um, you have told it to look out for. Um, and it will then, because you're too bit, you can't listen to all the phone calls going on in your, in your office with nine people. Right. But it will bring to your attention, the ones that it thinks you should listen to. So you can select certain calls or they can nominate, like your team members could flag calls for you to listen to, uh, as well. But that way it sort of curates all the, all the call recordings for you. And you can then listen to calls and give people like really specific coaching to help them improve, but also they can listen back themselves. I think that's just as important is they get a chance to analyze their own calls and listen to them. But, and here's the, the best part that I hadn't really thought of in terms of call recording. I was thinking about 
giving people constructive feedback and helping them get better. But what it also does is you can then have a library of great calls and like, or snippets from great calls. So you almost have like your top producers, your best people, or what, you know, everybody says good stuff sometimes, right? So you just capture like, wow, you did this really well. I love the way you said this to the candidate, or I love the way that you asked this question. And then, um, you record those. And then from a training point of view, your new people are listening to not just any call, but they're listening to the best calls to accelerate their own development. So it's a little bit like when they used to be in the office and you'd go sit them next to your top producer and say, okay, shadow them for two days. It's a little bit like that. So I just thought that was a cool That's really cool. Yeah. Can you actually send me that info? Yeah, yeah, sure. Happy to. That's that's awesome. Um, and do you still ring the gong though? So I haven't. <laughs> I think you should. I think like on your call, whenever you're talking about like the deals that week or what's you know good news that's happening, oh, is it. it's not as fun as them getting to ring it. But uh, I don't know. It might it might be cheesy. I don't know. But now we send um, little gifs of the gong hitting in the oh, okay. chat. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, and my that, kids hit the gong. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, so you use this, we use Slack, which is uh, like- My husband uh, uses that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we like it a lot for just kind of the office chit chat. And we have channels for like specific topics that we're focused on, that we're working on. But we also have one like just for fun stuff. We share photos of like what we were doing with the kids at the weekend or- you know, silly things, but, uh, so it sounds like you're use are you using Skype for that. It's basically like Skype, but it's through okay. ring central. Oh, it's ring central. So it's like, yeah. a, it's like a live chat yep. with ring central. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That so that's cool. where all of our more goofy stuff is not yeah. so much work related. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, Brooke, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, I love your story and You've shared, and this is what I try and get out of all of our guests and not always successfully, hands up guys, I do my best, is to break down, get like really specific, tangible takeaways that like how, because it's great hearing about success, it's inspiring, but how did that person achieve that? That's what I'm like, that's the whole reason I started this podcast is to really try and break down how the most successful you know, people in our industry operate and you've done, you've just over delivered on that. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And if you ever have any questions, I'm a pretty open book and obviously not perfect. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a great pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the resilient recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.